So yeah. now Tasia, free from the inconvenient love of a family, can become the perfect unfeeling killing machine and employee of the month. Yep, his jobs value you so much that you shouldn't care about your family. <laughs> no, they're holding you back. What if yeah. you could just work forever and you didn't have to go home? sound out of energy but it's just that we're being sneaky yeah we're being indiscreet yeah and secretive we practice saying hi before we entered the room (laughs) yeah we had to practice being a people yeah or the people that we're supposed to be not the right yeah uh somebody else is pretending to be gay yeah We're intentionally us. It's fine. Yeah. Don't question it. We are uh, the assassins next door. Um, A media literacy show from a horror lens where we explore the real life historical and technological influences behind our cinematic fears. And today we're talking about the film Possessor. Yeah, it was weird, but it was good. Mostly weird, but entertaining. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I will say, you know, to to give the Nepo baby his due, um, I understood his film way more than I understand his father's films. That's fair. I will agree with that. Um, <laughs> what was really interesting about like this movie was I was confused for like 90% of it. And then at the end, I understood. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like for 90% of the movie, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> what's happening but then it all kind of it did end up at the end where i was like okay i get it i get what's happening okay we're here (laughs) i see what you're trying to do this whole time (laughs) yeah yeah i um i i i had an idea of what was going on which you know would we cover experimental or some of those like highbrow <laughs> films sometimes I'm like oh I'm gonna need to read some articles about this uh to see what I'm supposed to know where I gotta watch some YouTube videos that's why I happened with Tatane mm-hmm. um I was like oh <laughs> I don't know I don't know what's telling me this one I genuinely on the first run was like yeah I get yeah. this and I enjoyed you know there's a lot of really great acting in that I knew when there was a struggle happening and then also from like dialogue you know there's struggle happening and that was really exciting to watch um and there was like it it was surprising to me because it would all of a sudden start like commenting on things and I was like oh I didn't (laughs) I didn't know it was gonna be about that yeah (laughs) I didn't know we were gonna do that okay Um, yeah I see you okay Cool. All right, Eric Kronenberg, you got it. Um, <laughs> so it's uh, this is um, 
uh, his second film, mm. um, Brandon Cronenberg. I have not seen Antiviral, which is his first film. Uh, so I can't, and this is the only one I've seen so far. We're going to watch Infinity Pool and cover that next week. So mm. uh, <laughs> I have this is all I got right for for his films. I've seen a few of his father's films. So yeah. it's you know a gr- I think it's a great introduction into him. It's it's definitely you know all the reviews I saw were very much like immediately comparing him to his father and like essentially essentially setting him aside from his father being like he is different he's not you know and he is he has clearly influences and appreciation Mm -hmm. from his father with this I I will say I'm very thankful for the lack of uh, extensive flesh technology nobody was licking any ports <laughs> outlets that are ingrained yeah. in somebody's body and that yep. for me is a win <laughs> that hurt physically mentally and otherwise when we had to witness it emotionally we also got it but like you know Cronenberg has an aesthetic uh his father <laughs> it's only the time yeah. when you're you have many uh bodily based fears <laughs> You're just like I. I don't want to see someone like that. I just don't need it. I I get why it's scary and it worked. I am scared, but I don't know yeah. if I wanted it. I don't know if I needed that. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. I appreciated that it was a little bit less flesh technology um, and like pulsating yeah. machine slash goo slash human yeah it's weird yeah (laughs) yeah definitely more like cerebral and and like you know there's somewhat there's a there's an amount of body horror right there's like this uh these like dream sequences that play into um the battle that's happening internally and it Mm -hmm. manifests as like body horror and like her faces being meshed like bodies being meshed together and unmeshed and that but it was like still <laughs> it still wasn't David Cronenberg. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't existence. I yeah. like I could watch it and not be like, oh god. Yeah. Um yeah, I think it, you know, it is its own thing. And then also I just think like the relationship with technology is different too, I think. Mm-hmm. And the critique of technology is different from um David. So um yeah, for folks who've definitely watched our episodes or listened to our episodes about David Cronenberg films, this is our first Brandon Cronenberg. It's been on my list for a while. It's been something I've wanted to watch for a good minute, and mm-hmm. I have wanted to kind of give him a try. And um, I will be honest that it is the existence of Mia Goth in Infinity Pool that <laughs> pushed me to finally do it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you got me there. Okay. Yeah. You put Mia Goth in anything. And I'll, oh, oops, I'm here now. Yeah, I have to watch it. <laughs> I'm around. Uh, I hope she's, she's, I hope she stays how she is. <laughs> yeah. Um, it doesn't make me regret enjoying her. <laughs> yeah. As, as actors are one to do. Um, yeah. Why don't we <laughs> hop, in. hop in as we do here, uh, where I'll tell you about uh, possessor what it happens what it's about and what are some of the themes takeaways and then we'll get to a bit of some of the scary tech that is out there mm-hmm. <laughs> and what we should be afraid of not so much like is this this plot possible um though i would say if the technology were there Absolutely. absolutely like this is yeah. what they would use it for absolutely yeah and um, i'm going to talk about like the ethical concerns of it it's like 
that kind of technology would be like amazing if we didn't live within the society that we do uh, mm-hmm. and we didn't have the structures and systems in place that we do. Um, it would be amazing. It'd be so cool. It, the, like the, the intent and motivation would be just a whole different vibe. It would just be very interesting. Not the possessing of other people's bodies, but like being able to transfer your consciousness into a new body Somewhere or like else, yeah. even just like the, yeah, as you said, like making your brain go a different place. That would be super useful for a handful of reasons. Um, but because of the government, mm-hmm. and we know they love to do, uh, there's no way it's going to be used for good. Yeah, like capitalism and all the other intersections, like they are going to play a part in how this technology is developed, especially when spearheaded by a man like Elon Musk. Um yeah because in capitalism only the billionaires can have a say in what we do with their technology so it's like it's going to be a time that honestly i think it's possible if not now or like like it's already happened somehow in like the cia land or uh and we just don't know about it yet or that it will likely have some capacity of happening either this way or another way in the future mm-hmm. so, that's just like yeah i feel like good. the the gist of like the gist of like any technology when there's emerging technology i get really excited about the potential and what it says for like the possibility of just making the world a better place because and that's what they advertise it as mm-hmm. um and so i'm always just like oh yeah but you know the people who are in charge of it like you said it is going to be you know, billionaires. And we've already discussed on previous episodes that it is literally impossible for their brains yep. and for them to be good. Like they yes. cannot be good and be a billionaire. Like yeah. they do not have the capacity and the mental understanding, like uh, an experience of the your world. Brain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there's just you no could start way. from nothing and of like, and later, once you are a billionaire, be horrible. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can literally develop that over time. Even like you could start normal and then transition gradually or drastically into awful uh, as well. Yeah, so but you can't. <laughs> you can't um be yeah you can't be good and yeah, you can't be get to that all that money mm-hmm. it's just not possible you have and to sacrifice so, the humanity uh there to achieve all right so possessor is from the year 2020 and it is about an agent works for a secretive organization that uses brain implant technology to inhabit other people's bodies, ultimately driving them to commit assassinations for high paying clients and directed by Brandon Cronenberg. This is just, uh, let me tell you what happens in there. <laughs> more So you get an idea. Um, if you are going to watch the movie trigger warning, there's some there's obviously it's a horror movie there's a lot of violence but there's also violence towards children that happened at the end so um whew, i wasn't i didn't know that that was gonna happen yeah it did and that was rough so yeah. just trigger warnings for anyone and um yeah uh the deaths are I, pretty brutal like additionally like the other ones uh they are all pretty brutal yeah they're they're very very gory and also just like the surrounding circumstances of the deaths is also really just troubling so Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's a lot of levels of horror that's happening um but let me tell you about possessor so possessor is a gripping sci-fi horror movie that intertwines an existential identity crisis with a chilling undertone of commentary on the issues of data mining and surveillance 
um, set in an alternate near past of Toronto in 2008, we begin with a scene of a young black woman sticking a needle and cord directly into her scalp. We start mm-hmm. out with the gross. Um, and we follow as Holly strolls through her workplace, a woman on a mission. And we spend little time with Holly before she stabs her client in the neck many times, far too many times than would be necessary. Like, you mm-hmm. did it, babe. You did it. Right? And um, she then grabs a gun, uh, her originally intended weapon that she had, like, dismissed for this knife that she saw that she thought mm-hmm. oh yeah that's better um and turns it in on herself she struggles with it seeming to question the act and second guessing herself uh before she is then confronted by police who predictably shoot her down mm-hmm. um and you'd wonder uh at what drove poor holly to do this horrible thing to ha- make this decision and why she would kill this man and bring about her own death in such a vicious way and it is then revealed that holly had nothing to do with it yep she was merely a vessel for assassin uh tasia who was a white woman and a hired serial killer uh and i emphasize this because it's important uh no matter how often people seem to move on from this unsatisfactory beginning and all the reviews and comments about this film um it is important that that was a white woman inhabiting a black woman's body and then she brought about her death and i will talk about it later (laughs) because you know i will um yeah (laughs) take it or leave it like either you like that commentary you don't someone's got to talk about it and not enough people are um so uh back to the plot tasia works for a mysterious corporation uh using advanced mind controlling technology to infiltrate the minds of those close to to the targets that she's she's um trying to kill for covert assassinations Mm -hmm. And after completing the missions, she undergoes tests to ensure her mental integrity and to ensure her own mind hasn't been tainted by the cohabitation because she like exists in that person's body for like up to 48 hours, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she's in that person's body. She's mimicking them and becoming them to a degree. And so when she comes back out, it's like. like let's make sure you're good (laughs) right yeah um let's make sure you're still you um and we see like these little items that are tied to her past and her life and it's kind of like you know inception with the anchors like the totems yeah the the purpose of them is like to make sure she's still her and so that's our first glimpse into who she is and so they like bring up these little bits and, and and pieces and and one of the things that kind of defines her as like in in confirms that she's like a person with feelings um, is uh, she has a butterfly that she had killed and pinned when she was a child, like uh, to keep like in a shadow box. And she Mm. mentions that she did that and that she still feels guilty about it. And that's like a really important thing. And then she's also like reminded, like she does forget things about her life because she she's like reminded that she's been estranged from her husband yeah. Right. And she's pressured to like leave that life behind. And clearly, like, that was the right answer. Her saying, like, this is what I did. I still feel guilty about it. It was the correct answer because that is true. That is usually what her answer is. But it is not the right answer for the employer who's like, that's not good enough. Yeah. I don't like that that's your answer. <laughs> right? um, but we see that uh, Tasia's true self is revealed as like a tabula rasa, right? This blank state um, with even her personality, like her personal life being scripted 
um, where we see her rehearsing interactions that she'll have with her husband and son. It's like practicing like, hi, what's for dinner? Like, I love you. And she's like putting on the same act and performance that she does with um, when she's pretending to be another person. Like this time Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be with like her husband. Um, So something isn't quite right with Tasia. And I mean, even beyond the regular issue of her being an uncaring psychopath capable of insidious murder, um, she, something's wrong with her, even in that scope. (laughs) She's breaking, something's breaking in there. Uh, Because she faces inner turmoil after her last mission where remnants of her victim's consciousness linger. So she does fake the test to some degree. And she does, um, I don't think they're concerned enough yeah. That, so they list, they buy it when she's like, no, I'm fine. Um, and they're like, all right, whatever, I'll take it. Cause I, the, uh, if I decide that you're not fit, then I have to find somebody else. Yeah. They um, don't care about her at all. Um, it, <laughs> they just want her to just do the job. Uh, do not care about her at all. Well, she's so good at it. Right. Yeah. Despite her unease, her ruthless boss, Gerder, who's played wonderfully by the Cronin alum, Cronenberg alum, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. She's been in a yeah. lot of his films. So it's cute. She's in this one, um, compels her into a new assignment. Like, yep. get back in there, kid. Uh, and Gerda, <laughs> acknowledging her own inability to undergo the process, aims to groom Tasia as her successor. She does the alternative motives, arterial motives, um, and pushes her into that because she's trying to, like, disrupt her life. <laughs> like, yeah. Don't get back and get cozy. Um, yeah. You have to take over. I'm getting old. <laughs> My brain can't handle the system and you can. Um, In the upcoming mission, Tasia assumes the identity of Colin, who is an ex-drug dealer dating the daughter of a powerful figure in a data mining company. And the client hopes to orchestrate a scenario where Colin, under the guise of a relapse, murders his future father-in-law and daughter, creating a strategic power shift, Mm -hmm. um, which benefits the client, but also this mysterious company that can control people's minds. Yes. So they're like, oh, we get stakes. Like we're going to be stakeholders in this company that's mining people's data and, and surveying the populace. Sure. Yeah. Let's give them the thing. <laughs> right. Um, so it's like it was, red flags. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah, it's red flags that is also like not really commented on. <laughs> it's yeah. like, that's not what's scary. It's that she doesn't know who she is. I was like, that's not at all what it is. The data mining is definitely very scary. <laughs> There's a problem. Um, yeah. Um, which is funny because it really is like a subplot. Yeah. It's like there, but it's not there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Unfortunately, Tasia's control has begun to slip and she falls in and out of the narrative as Colin fights his way out of the sunken place. So the film follows as Tasia and Colin fight each other, with Tasia carrying out the mission messily. She does accomplish mm-hmm. it, but it is like a long time. It's a lot of like fighting back and forth. Um and it is in these moments that, like, uh, the actor for Colin Tully Blank, on his name right now, um, Charlie from Girls, uh, who does it wonderfully. There are times where I genuinely know he's Colin and I know he's Tasia. Yeah. And there's also some editing movement moments where, like, their voices are, are melded to get, like, at the same time uh-huh. when they're, like, communicating. That was really eerie and cool. So it's like that's the whole film is them fighting each other. <laughs> like she's in here and he's like give me my life back yeah um saying that to like himself so (laughs) it's a little weird um 
And so uh, after she successfully ruins Colin's life and identity, he gets the idea of revenge and sets his eyes on her family. Only it doesn't work out quite the way he intended. When Tasia reveals the depths of her malice, um, her family was actually holding her back from her true potential. And in the gory and traumatizing last acts of the film, Tasia, Colin, and Gerder take out her husband and child. So yeah. now Tasia, free from the inconvenient love of a family, can become the perfect, unfeeling killing machine and employee of the month. Yeah, because jobs value you so much that you shouldn't care about your family. <laughs> no, they're holding you back. What if yeah. you could just work forever and you didn't have to go home? Um, <laughs> cinematically, the film is a fever dream of reds and oranges, and Cronenberg's use of practical effects adds that extra layer of realistic unease. Um, there's not like weird special effects and stuff like we saw with like his dad's recent movie had some weirdness in there yeah. um so uh watching as tasia fights to hold on to her invasion of colin while he in turn resists the programming is conveyed through fantasy sequences of them pulling at each other's flesh their bodies melding and parting in desperation and a representation of that internal battle made graphic and tangible um, it's pretty cool. Those little sequences were like really insane. Um, yeah. and I think elevated the experience. So on the surface, the film is a conversation about identity, right? She's literally taking someone's identity. She's becoming another person and warping how we experience them. So something that really stuck with me after the film was understanding the larger implications of this technology and the decision to invade regular, ordinary people with entire lives they've sculpted on their own and are now left with a tarnished legacy. I yeah. think of the family and friends who knew these people who are now questioning their relationships and reality. Right. Like I thought I knew this person. Right. And for me, yeah. it was like worth the worst cruelty to wear their face with the intent to ruin their history. Like, yeah, to, to, to ruin what we perceive them to be. And the one thing we have left when we leave this world is our impact and interaction with others. And they've destroyed that. And it's mm -hmm. truly monstrous. Um, and even more so, I feel like, than the invasion of privacy and data mining woes that dominate the narrative. Like, that's the thing that really stuck with me is like, if you could come through and someone can, in one vicious act, completely change how everyone perceives you, which happens with like people who, you know, falsely accuse other people of crimes, um, your whole world changes. Yeah. Because now people perceive you as this monster, this this uh, that you've done these horrible things, and in the in the premise of the film, like they are doing those things, uh, but they're not. <laughs> so yeah. like that's that's the thing that just like I could not get over that. Like I kept getting stuck with that. I was like, you're ruining their history. Yeah, and like not even like the murder itself is traumatic, but like also like the doubt of like reality that every single person, like you said, like is going to experience is going to be like mind altered. Like it's gonna hurt like their entire perception of reality. Like they're mm -hmm. everyone's gonna be traumatized extra because like it's just so uncharacteristic of what we thought or what they thought or they knew about this person. Yeah. And, and they would have otherwise been completely correct. Mm -hmm. That is what that person is. And now all of a sudden they're not that anymore. Like you've ruined their legacy. Like anything they've ever done in their life, they could have been the most amazing human. Mm -hmm. You've ruined it. And it, they had they had no power in that. Yeah. Um, 
So that to me, I was like, that's a horror. <laughs> I get all the other stuff and absolutely valid. This was a horror. Um, yeah. And I'll bring that, that'll come back up because there's a very specific horror um, in this case where someone's specific life was ruined um, mm. that I think should have been thought about more. Yeah. So um, Cronenberg in an interview in RogerEbert.com, uh, the, the article is titled Psychological Infections. Brandon Cronenberg on Possessor explains some of the inspirations for the film, one being his own struggle with being a person, acting the part, and not recognizing yourself in the mirror. Um, specifically talking about like he was going on tour and, and going through festivals and stuff for um, the his first film and mm. just feeling like he had to put on airs, right? And he said... Yeah. I was finding myself waking up in the mornings and feeling like I was sitting up into someone else's life and having to scramble to construct a character who could operate in that context. So I wanted to make a film initially about someone who may or may not be an imposter in their own life as a way to talk about how we create characters and narratives in order to operate as human beings. Um, and they do say, like she said, that like, what's the narrative? Right. Like what, what yeah. is the story that we're weaving that's supposed to be believable about this person? Like that's why mm -hmm. they they try to paint it as he's relapsing. Um, and the ghouls have talked quite a bit about like in the past about the fear of losing oneself in your work and in the appearances with craft for the social world. Um, so you can watch our cam episode severance and I'm sure there's others. It's a real fear uh, to play a character long enough to forget who the original one was. Um, it's, yeah. it's, that's also scary, right? An additional um, layer to that. I'm oh, sorry to interrupt, but like, it's like, I, something that bothered me about the character from the onset was like, it also is a very pointed way to describe masking, uh, mm -hmm. as like an autistic person, uh, from my own experience. And like, it's, I didn't like that, uh, that person had to be a murderer as like, we always kind of see, unfortunately. Um, but like, it was, it also very much speaks to that. Like if you have to put on a show for the people in your lives, if you're not in a place yet where you feel safe in your skin. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, I, especially like the moments where she is practicing to be with her family. Mm -hmm. Um, cause she's not pretending to be a whole new person. She's pretending to be the person that her family expects her to be. Mm -hmm. And so that that's a really like heavy layer of like, even in her own life. Yeah, she is like masking, right? She's like, okay, I have to like put on the social face. Um, and absolutely, it's it's the fact that she's a murderer um, <laughs> kind of takes away any power that that message could have. Um, just uh, hmm. <laughs> putting yeah. people into places of power, putting them yeah. into victimhood. <laughs> And I am in no way diagnosing through the media that that character was autistic. I'm just correlating the mask element of it because she was not, she was the problem, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, she was just a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. different. It's different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, thank you for clarifying. People are listening. Uh, one of the, the bigger threads of commentary is found on the, uh, in the company Girder & Co. Uh, who, uh, that they intend to hostily take over. Right. Um, so Colin works as a lower level employee at a data mining company. And here he enters a virtual office and spends his days watching people through their webcams uh, mm -hmm. to gather information about their lives. Uh, I'm sure people will now have like tape over there. I do. Mine has mm -hmm. a little 
it's like a, a little slider. Um, so uh, the information, this is what was, I think, one of the best parts of the film. The information that he's looking for when Tasia pretends to be him is um, on the drapes and curtains in people's homes. Is that like, that's the guise of what they're looking at, right? Is, oh, we're seeing what kind of curtains people own. Um, so this like completely mundane, boring, oh, that's harmless, uh, but you're invading people's privacy uh, to do it, to access yeah. that information. And you're seeing much more than their curtains. <laughs> yeah, so oh, we much, watch much the more. invasion of privacy as he cycles through the different webcams, eventually getting stuck on a scene in which two people are having sex. Right. And it's an absurd violation of privacy to know what color their curtains are. And I think like that, again, it's this absurdification that sci-fi um, does to um, exaggerate real problems. Because yeah. it's not that far off. Right. <laughs> like that, like they tell you less that they're like, oh, oh, just accept these cookies. You know, those kind of things. <laughs> like. <laughs> oh it's a little cookie did everyone you know? read the terms and conditions no right so. um and as extreme and absurd as this moment is it doesn't feel too far off and so data mining companies and other invasive technologies operate under the guise of gathering only the unimportant minutiae of our daily lives while actually getting a lot more information out of us um yeah and or watching selling us. it to the government, <laughs> selling yeah, it there, just giving it to law enforcement if they have a warrant for it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so Cronenberg, in that interview that I mentioned previously, shares the surveillance horror inspiration, saying, I was approaching it in different ways in the film, partly through surveillance. I mean, the Snowden leaks happened as I was writing it. I was feeling a lot of despair at the thought of the death of privacy through technology, and that made its way in. And I'll admit, I do not know a lot about data mining other than like the general idea, right? And I fear, as I fear all new technology that tries to convince the public it's harmless and nothing to worry about, mm -hmm. uh, doth protest too much, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I was telling Kat before this episode, I was like, new technology, I always be like, this is for accessibility and other benevolent things. Um, but then behind that is a sign, that sign is a factory of smoke and brimstone with a monster maniacally laughing as they gather all of our information into a boiling pot of control and sublimation. And so uh -huh. <laughs> that's how I feel about all technology. I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah. Yep. No, it's fine. It's going to be so good and helpful for people. So like, we're going to make it like $10,000 per month, you know, like they do with the what is it the leukemia drug mm -hmm. <laughs> you know like life-saving stuff uh you have to pay one hundred and sixty thousand dollars a year for it only um, certain people can have their lives saved yeah um but so it's, it's for the good of everybody yeah <laughs> it's fine it's not for money everything's no. for money in a super helpful article on medium titled on possessor data mining and labor alienation by noble dude um they press the details of the process and why we should fear it so it's, it's super helpful if you want to learn about data mining from mm -hmm. someone who did it and gets yeah. it because i don't so here's what they said <laughs> data mining is central to tech 
Data mining is the future of human labor. These days, one of the most lucrative businesses you can invest in or own is a consulting company whose only purpose is to hire low-paid workers around the world to feed algorithms, usually at the behest of some tech company. Some of these jobs are pretty straightforward. Maybe you get to transcribe ads or newspaper articles, or maybe you end up transcribing voice recordings. The idea is this data will be used to improve smartphone apps aimed at disabled people or later used in the creation of innovative software. Maybe. Most of the time, however, these jobs demand tasks that get incredibly abstract and strange. It's all hard to gauge since there is a severe lack of transparency in the industry. As well as regulation. (laughs) Yeah. So we have the trouble of not fully understanding the roles that we play in these elaborate ploys for information and control. Further, Nopal Dude explains how, due to the virtual element of the job, much of the work is outsourced, allowing for the companies in charge to underpay their employees and avoid labor laws, restrictions, and basic human decency. This disconnection from our role in the work contributes to a larger problem in the core theme of the film, according to Noble Dude, um, which he explains is worker alienation, right? So um, Noble Dude draws a connection between the film's villainous corporations and Karl Marx's concept of labor alienation. Uh, The idea is that as the pace and intricacy of production increases, laborers gradually become detached from the products they manufacture. The emergence of factories during the later stages of capitalism transform production into a series of interconnected processes involving the construction of individual components that contribute to larger entities, ultimately uh, destined for sale and consumption. But we don't always see the bigger picture because we're in the first step or the yeah. third step um, in the, the conveyor belt of creation. Right? Yeah. So he compares the work of a shoemaker who is involved in all aspects of creation with the shoe um, uh, to the work of someone making screws like in a screw company. Right. Uh, so mm-hmm. screws that will then later be used in war tanks. So like yep. with a shoemaker, um, they understand exactly every little like small piece that goes into the designing of the shoe. They know what it's going to look like in the end and they know all the work that went into it for the, the screw factory. You're just making the screw and that's it. You did it. You did your job. You don't know what they're using those screws for. So they are so far removed from the final result that their contribution to a larger issue like war is lost on them. And Noble Dude claims uh, data mining is the most extreme and abstract version of this alienation um, and completes his thorough examination of data mining and is this alienation. Um, and again, I highly recommend this article <laughs> to learn more about <laughs> this whole process, um, by tying it to the severity of job performance, saying the thesis at the center of this, the gruesome climax is that we have secretly internalized capitalism's promise to such an extent that, yes, it is worthwhile, desirable even, to destroy and sacrifice everything you have and are in order to excel at your job. I mean, be honest. Don't you want to be really good at your job? Isn't that the only purpose in life? (laughs) Um, And that is the final message in the film. When we see Tasia finally shrug off the inconvenience of family and love of her regular life, right? Now unburdened she could be the perfect killing machine uh this is confirmed when in the final moments tasia is tested as she had been earlier in the film only this time she reveals no lasting feelings of regret or anything that makes her remotely a caring feeling human being when she pulls out that butterfly she says you know i killed this when i was younger 
That's it. I don't feel, I don't regret it. I don't feel guilty. Right. So, and then, you know, Gerda was like, did it. And now the last thing I'll speak on is important and unfortunately underreported on. So the first life that we see Tasia and her company destroy is Holly's, who is a black woman whose body is commandeered by a white woman for destructive purposes, an act that leaves her dead at the hands of a police firing squad specifically right and at best and in giving the film entirely too much credit (laughs) which we sometimes do like sometimes we'll be like if they were thinking perhaps this is what they're trying to say like try we're trying the media analysis yes we're trying to say maybe you maybe this is what you meant to do so we're going to try to you know so at best right um it is remarking on the cruelty of white people possessing black bodies or benefiting from black harm at worst it's a massive and tragic oversight and the implications of harming this black body as is as overlooked by the audience and reviewers as it was in the film right i found three reviews that speak on this issue, two of which simply mention it and move on after briefly praising the film on its flimsy, possible intentions. <laughs> so like when I said at best, if we're giving them all the credit, that's what those two reviews were doing. One review I found on Slant Magazine titled, Possessor Review, Identity Theft as Nihilist Nightmare. Writer Chuck Bowen attempts to credit the presence of commentary with a slight critique on the brevity of the moment saying, Cronenberg doesn't elaborate further on the racial implications of the film's first scene, which essentially functions as a self-contained short. One of several riffs here on the alienating possibility of the supreme mental hijack, which the filmmaker eventually contrasts with corporate data mining, an altogether more relatable kind of invasion. So they're like, it exists. It's very short, (laughs) but it's there. Uh, The other one was like, oh, good. He did that. (laughs) I was like, no, what? Um, Again, I've read a lot of reviews. Just three of them I caught even mentioned Holly, right? The third that I found, and it was after digging, um, spoke the full truth and despair that I felt when I was watching this black woman's life and legacy be destroyed at the manipulative hands of white people and white corporations. So on uh, electric literature, there's an article titled White Audiences Are Obsessed with Black Martyrdom, and writer Celia uh, Madison shares her thoughts in their overall critique of using Black bodies as martyrs for white messages. It starts with, I watch over and over again as this Black woman dressed in an unsophisticated cerulean uniform stabs a man she's been being, she's being paid to serve before dying horrifically in a hail of police gunfire. A brief cu- cruelty that lingers made even more gruesome when you catch that moment of defiance in Holly. So Madison says, she's unable to pull the trigger, her hands trembling on the grip. Here I think I see Holly emerge, wrestling control from Voss, resisting this posh white woman from an unseen get out sunken place. I imagine Holly acting on one of our most basic human instincts to self-preserve, one of our most ingrained instincts to resist white dominance. And Madison questions uh, the lack of notice by those around Holly, which is what really struck me because I was like caught up on like her, like how 
one it is just visceral it's just awful for that to be the first thing that we see and then to learn yeah. like it wasn't even her so i was thinking about how her life is ruined um but she's talking about like the fact that like no one even knew to mm-hmm. our knowledge that she wasn't Holly, right? And so when we spend time with Colin in the film, which is a lot longer, um, we watch as others are quick to notice him acting strangely, right? So Tasset had gathered only necessary information on behaving as him and understandably missed the small nuanced pieces of a person that others who know them well would sense is wrong or different. So mm-hmm. um, for this, it's... Uh, does no one notice that Holly is strange, right? Um, and Madison even asks, if someone were to notice and report it, would anyone care to investigate? Saying, yeah. in the betrayal by someone who watched you long enough to package your life, but not enough to recognize your humanity. It's what makes the sunken place so existentially frightening. In a world where we as Black women are still allowed so little freedom of movement and expression, the idea that we could further have our personhood stripped from us and that nobody would notice is horrifying. Yeah. And that like hit that extra mark of like, they didn't even see her. And because like it's reflected in the fact that similar to what we were complaining about with don't worry, darling, right, is like you put this person here and you didn't think about it. Yeah. Or you didn't think long enough and you weren't intentional enough to think about the weight that their presence had and you treating them this way on screen would have on the people who are watching it who look like her and live her life. Right. Um, Further, with Holly's blackness, unlike Colin, there is a confirmation of closure in this case. And um, she says, and if Vaz's Holly failed to execute the suicide, there's no chance of Holly leaving the building alive. Her blackness is a fail safe. No black person is politely escorted out of the building in handcuffs after committing murder. Um, She goes on saying, like, you know, they're not giving them pizza, which is like remarks about. Mm-hmm. So now there's serial killers we've seen, or uh, mass murderers. Mm-hmm. So this interaction with authority is representative of a bigger issue, a complex and institutional understanding. And I am really thankful for Madison speaking on an issue that has that haunted my experience of the film. Mm-hmm. Right, um, changing me and Kat's interpretations of the film. Like right out the gate, we were both like, Ugh. "Oh yeah!" Like oh. It, it was it, like we purposely had to be like, "We're gonna like." <laughs> when like I think it, I even said it I was like I'm gonna pocket that yeah <laughs> I'm gonna put that in we're gonna turn it off and we can't <laughs> but yeah. then I brought it like it was like 10 minutes later I brought it back up because I couldn't because I was like yeah. okay but another thing like another thing she's on the screen for seven minutes and she, I could only think of her the whole film yeah like every and time also- anyone else did something <laughs> Go ahead. And it was like the lack of care they did and even preparing for her. Kate, like you don't see the prep that went into Colin. You know what I mean? Like they were just counting on her being perceived in that way. Like it was just really gross. Mm-hmm. And it's like, she's wearing like, there's also the elements she's wearing a wig. There's like all these like added layers. It's like, this is a person who doesn't understand how to like be her. And they never considered that. Mm-hmm. And like that to me is is just as malicious as if they strategically did that. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it like literally seven minutes and I like kept <laughs> they're like, okay, yeah. we'll come back to that. And I was like, I'm coming back to it. <laughs> I'm bringing it back up. 
Um, because we, like Madison, were immediately disrupted by the violence and the decisions that must have led to that specific scene playing out the way that it did, right? Mm -hmm. And um, even, again, if we're giving them the credit that is due, they didn't do enough. If that was the intention, they didn't say anything about it. Yeah. So they didn't. They just hurt us and then moved on and was like, yes, hurts, right? Um, So Madison ends their amazing article. uh, Highly, highly recommend. Please go read it. um, Mm -hmm. With a heavy thought that continues to linger with me even now. And she says, when I rewatch the film, I hope that as Colin fights for control over his body, he senses someone resisted before him. Like so many others searching for self-determination, he might find that a path has been cleared by a black woman before him. Maybe as his hands were unable to pull the trigger and he unsuccessfully tried to regain control of his body, he recognized that someone else had been there, been here before him. And as I replay Holly's seven minutes again and again, I try to tease out the lines of Graham's short, startling performance. I want to trace when Holly emerges and Vaz falls back. I want her to know that someone noticed when she was gone. Hmm. So that's my second. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I, I was like, yeah, I'll talk about data. <laughs> talk about technology, but I can't get over this. And so I was so like very thankful that I found that one article, but it really like broke my heart. <laughs> like even now, yeah. I'm like, oh, glad. So it's uh, yeah. It's a, it's a it's a mess. So why don't we learn about <laughs> the technology? Um, because that is also horrifying. Yeah, less horrifying, <laughs> but horrifying. Um, yeah. So in my section today, I'll be unpacking a few ethical dilemmas surrounding the use of technology and the way that we and the way that we see it like represented in the possessor. Uh, currently, we are not equipped with the kind of technology necessary to create this dystopian scenario, at least not at the level that we see it in the film, um, as far as we know. But uh, there are technological advances in the works that could enable this kind of future, if not regulated or monitored. Um, and I think because like most of Congress is like 70 plus years old. Uh, it's not going to get regulated or monitored. Like they don't, yeah, like they don't understand. They don't, the internet and everything that it is and all the technology surrounding it has like developed so exponentially since their understanding of what that, like they're just just so disconnected that like I do not see this getting regulated or monitored in the way that it will need to because we don't have the governmental structure in place to initiate that monitor like the wherewithal to know that it needs to be done yeah and like what needs to be done and like even some of the discussions i've seen around like amazon and like buying certain companies and whatnot it's like uh, the the ethical concerns are like raised but it's mostly about market competition is like the reason they're like don't do that and it's like it should be more than that it should be no, way more than that hands. that is one of the reasons absolutely um but like sure it, it should be way more about the ethical concerns about what people will do with that kind of information and how it will be used to monitor people and like in an orwellian nightmare against us like the surveillance and control that goes into that. And it's like the ones that were mad about it, I think it was like London. And that's like one of the mm-hmm. most heavily surveilled countries or mm-hmm. cities in a country. So like, uh, it's a time. 
Uh, so I don't think it will yeah. be regulated or monitored in the way that we need, just like how we're seeing like AI develop and everything else. So mm-hmm. uh, I think considering the documented history of how corporations, the CIA, the government in the past have experimented and attempted to control people as well, it is within reason to be very concerned about how they would operate if this kind of technology were achievable. Um, games have hinted to this in many terrifying ways uh, as well in how technology and our biology could be altered and integrated as well as manipulated by those in power, thinking like cyberpunk, Metal Gear, many others. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as like, also Orwell. Yeah, Orwell. The game We've done an episode about surveillance. Yeah. <laughs> Check it out. I'm trying to think of like, uh, there's like other ones too. Like there's so many games that have come out in recent years or like are very old and worse talking about this way ahead of where we are now. Um, So I'll be unpacking two technology use cases and the ethical concerns surrounding both. Uh, We'll get a little bit into Neuralink and like brain chips, and then we'll get into a little bit of uh, data mining and like our information being sold to companies and also being used against us by police and other things. Uh, so it's <laughs> so fun. Um, but still the least scary part of the film. Uh, so to provide some context, Neuralink is a company that Elon Musk owns and we know who he is. Um, there's a few articles that I got from, but I found a YouTube video that was really interesting uh, from about that. It's called Neuralink brain chips, first human patient. How does it work? <laughs> And uh, it's a trip, honestly. So they go into like kind of unpacking the intent or claimed intent about what's being developed and how we've seen it represented thus far and how it's continued to grow. So essentially Neuralink, the chips that can go in our brains, uh, have successfully been implanted in a human as of now. Like it's recent, it happened, they're apparently recovering well. We don't know anything about them really. We don't know their names or like uh, how well they're doing or what that even means in the context. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Elon Musk tweeted that they're doing fine. So let's trust him. Um, So in this video, they claim that the goal of Musk and the Neuralink project is to merge the human mind with AI. There's like speeches where Musk talks about this, or he says, where AI is inevitable. The only way we're going to complete compete is if we make ourselves like machines um we did this we did the digital apocalypse yeah (laughs) we covered that too so yeah so it runs a lot of potential if in the right hands and a lot of threats if in the wrong hands so this technology Mm -hmm. in theory would have the capability to alter the way neurons interact within the brain and the signals that allow us to move think and more uh the goal was essentially to merge the human brain with technology which could either deliver life-changing results in a positive or deep negative way. A piece of the chip's intent is to decode and understand neural spikes, uh, basically the signals in our brain, and translate what information comes from that into something readable to give us a more clear picture of the way the human brain operates. Uh, There are ways that this could be kind of like Black Mirror Futurama horror scenario, uh, and also... possibly provide a future where this Cronenbergian type of hijacking uh at the very least cyberpunk <laughs> uh but what we see yeah. in the video is that tiktok to you i'm hacking i'm hacking their brains um so uh what we see in the video is that the neuron spikes are tracked and decoded uh to make sense of what the signals mean so they essentially uh implanted 
in the video, they show like a monkey that uh, a Maccabee, or I think is what the monkey is called. Uh, and they implanted two chips into their brain and they, we watched them play a game on a computer screen. Uh, and at first you think they're using the joystick to do that. But then it's later revealed that the joystick is unplugged and the monkey is controlling mm. the game with its brain. It's playing Pong with its brain. Okay. Um, and that essentially they've done this through tracking the signal while using the joystick to translate that code and what that looks like in the brain to send the signal to the game without the joystick. I get that. The same movement, essentially. So it's like tracking. Yeah, like this equals this. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like using those signals after decoded to send that signal to the technology and connect the two together. So you think I want the little lever to go here, it goes there because uh, yeah. the program has been trained to respond in that way. Yeah, um, when brain makes this sound, it means go up. Yeah, and what was <laughs> convenient and interesting is that they did not mention, uh, th I believe there were uh, instances where the monkeys died. Uh, during the care uh, and during the experiment. Uh, I'll double check that. I might have to redact that later, but I'm pretty sure that that did happen. I remember hearing about it. So hopefully that's real. Uh, well, not hopefully that's sad, but you know what I'm saying? Hopefully for facts. <laughs> for facts, that is <laughs> real. Um, so apparently, essentially, they've developed it enough where they can decode at least the basic movements um, to understand the way that this could connect our brains to technology. And essentially the goal would be to, through understanding this coded technology and the signals that are there to be able to translate that into ways that we could use tech to move things or send an email or operate in a job <laughs> or even like control uh, prosthetics and other things. Uh, so that, as I said, there's ways that this could be used like to be very life-changing in a good way, but because of who's creating it, it's likely that that's not actually where it's going to land at the end of the day. So uh, the video goes on to claim and Musk himself claims that they're seeking out patients who have anthotropic lateral sclerosis or ALS, formerly known as the Eller, or not uh, Ehlers, uh, Luke Gehrig's disease. Um, hmm. and illnesses and injuries that cause paralysis essentially to test the capabilities of whether or not the neural link can restore the connections between the signal sent by the brain and its pathway to limbs and other areas of the body. Additionally, using the connection to technology, prosthetics, and other tools that the brain could activate and control. Um, uh, this could extend out to being able to replay memories down the line too. It's been alluded to that they could play your memories, decode those, and you'll be able to watch those back. Uh, hmm. Offer that's a Black Mirror episode. Yeah, it's it's, it's that's something that uh, I think is a major ethical concern. I understand it from the perspective of like I want I don't have a horrible memory. I would love to know what I was doing when I was five. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but do I want the government to know what I was doing when I was no. five? Probably not. And I like the level, the way that this could be manipulated to like be shown in trial. Like you could, everyone would mm -hmm. know if someone murdered somebody. Define people yeah. where they were. Exactly. Like there's so many, like so many ways that this could be used and ways that this could Gross. be like translated into something messed up. So thought crimes. 
Yes, predicting uh, murder through thought crime, <laughs> or like anything else, just predicting crime in general. <laughs> yeah. I thought about stealing eyeliner, so arrest me because I might, uh, you know, like stuff like that. murder, like the yeah. pre, like. There's countless, there's so much media that already like kind of covers this. Uh, so it's essentially they're like, we watch that and we're like, let's do it, let's just see, you know. Um, a show I want to like shout out is Upload that's on uh, the Evil prime mm-hmm. um and it's all about like digital afterlife and uploading your consciousness into an afterlife and it's about like capitalism and how that would like translate like you can be put in low data mode and like you're just frozen for months at a time if your oh family won't God. pay for your afterlife subscription um so it's a whole thing um so essentially and then like the goal is that eventually you can re-upload your body into a living person uh so it's yeah, a temporary altered carbon yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's all a whole thing but it's essentially that this technology is being created and could eventually lead to these outcomes it's being offered and talked about as if these are the eventual outcomes that will take place so um you can watch videos in your mind send an email thought-based connections to the internet it makes uh like g- genuinely joining the simulation it would change vr <laughs> uh like striking vipers you could go striking vipers uh immediately mm-hmm. like it would just be like everything would actually be happening in your brain and that would be a part of the situation so this kind of technology as i said could be really amazing if we did not live in a capitalistic and oppressive society if there was any trust for those in power to not manipulate and distort this power i think this would be an amazing deal i'd be like oh my god that's yeah, so not cool. holding my breath <laughs> uh wow what this can do to change people's lives in a positive way but we don't live in that society the if <laughs> the if isn't there uh so it's very likely unfortunately that this will be manipulated as a method of control as a method of like putting advertisements into our brains and other are like really gross uncomfortable things a cyberpunk kind of future uh, mm-hmm. the new new jim crow yeah yeah so considering who's in charge of developing uh the technology and I mean, there are other companies, but it's like, who's funding them? Um, I do not believe that this will stay Black what Rock. it is claimed to be made for. I think they're using that as a way to get people to think it's a good idea, to validate it, as you said, Gabe. Uh, and they're not going to use it for that, unfortunately, because of the world that we live in. Um, so there's also articles that kind of go through the ethical implications of brain chips, uh, specifically the 20th WCP ethical assessment of implantable brain chips goes through uh, the benefit applications, the ethical and social concerns, costs and accessibility, and its use for control and surveillance and the lack of regulation and policy, or rather the need for it and the fact that we don't currently have that in place. So they kind of go through, uh, it would be amazing if these chips were able to help people uh, enhance their sensory perception, memory, cognitive abilities, as well as help people like use prosthetics and other things to be able to like get through the world in a different way. So, uh, and it could also enable invisible communication and provide consistent access to information. All of those things, super beneficial and interesting. Um, but the ethical and social concerns are... Uh, essentially safety issues we don't know what these chips will do to our brains we don't know what the rate like radiation from the technology in our brain will do uh as well as informed consent privacy concerns and potential genuinely for social inequities because there's going to be a price point to access um Mm -hmm. as well as like the psychological impacts of altering 
and merging the human brain with technology. Uh, Additionally, cost and accessibility is an issue. Uh, essentially, the text acknowledges potential cost effectiveness of the implantable, implantable brain chips and discusses the stages of adoption from therapeutic use to enhancement. And it raises concerns that uh, this technology would be accessible, uh, that there would be a large socioeconomic gap between classes, and then also like just the ways in which like, even if there's access to life-saving care, like we see today with the pharmaceutical industry and everything else that like, they can make medicine, but they're not gonna give it to the people who need it. They're gonna charge mm -hmm. them hundreds and thousands of dollars to gain access to the thing to save or help or improve their lives. Um, Cause they don't care about people, they care about money ultimately. Um, they also warn about the potential for totalitarian control and government surveillance facilitated by implantable brain chips. It discusses the implications of individual autonomy, privacy, and security, particularly in military and criminal justice contexts, um, mm -hmm. as well as like the remote capability to just like end somebody. Um, you, yeah. It's Bluetooth compatible. You're gonna, you can Bluetooth someone out of existence with that. You could just send signals <laughs> to blow it up inside their brain, which will kill them. Like, you know, like, I'm not saying that's what they're going to do, saying, but like, it's possible. We could just, I say, let the rich people submersible their brains. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that's <laughs> fair. Um, <laughs> let the rich people go in their tiny little submersible and... Yeah. The, the unfortunate... Path, reality of it is that the pathway to them getting there is on the death and hurt of marginalized people that they're experimenting on through like as they're volunteering for the study uh yeah. and especially because well, yeah, they're calling they're... for people with disabilities like if anything goes wrong the pathway for elon musk to have this brain chip and be safe and go do whatever he wants to do in a submersible brain time um comes at the cost of potentially a lot of like innocent people. Uh, mm -hmm. but yeah. <laughs> and also uh, the passage emphasizes, emphasizes the need for comprehensive evaluation and regulation uh, and calls like essentially for people to like look at these ethical concerns and not do it just for the money, like really question, like, should we do this? Why are we doing this? Who is the one doing it? Media analysis, the situation um, yeah. of what's happening and why. Um, and essentially, like, we just don't know the long-term impact of this. Uh, and there was a, a like, uh, an experiment done specifically in another study. So researchers grapple with the ethics of testing brain implants uh, from science AAAS. Uh, and in this, they talk about uh, neurologist Helen Maber, who initiated a trial in 2003 to test DBS, which is a kind of treatment for severe depression by implanting electrodes in area 25 of the brain. Um, mm. this, the trial was sponsored by St. Jude Medical, involved a 200-person clinical trial. Uh, the, the trial failed. Um, mm. It didn't show like a significant change, but ninety percent, uh, like specifically ninety participants, failed to show a significant improvement between the active stimulation group uh, and the control group. And essentially, despite its failure, some participants chose to keep their implants. Essentially, and the ethical dilemma is that now they're financially responsible for maintaining those implants. 
um, because they did the study, they've been implanted with these neuro, like had brain surgery to put these in their head. And now the people who put them in their head uh, essentially are saying like, that sucks. Uh, if you want to keep them, you can, but you have to pay for their maintenance. If anything goes wrong, you have to pay to fix it. Um, we put these in you, but you're choosing to keep them. And if anything goes wrong, that sucks. Uh, so, uh, there, there's just like a lot of very reasonable, uh, concerns around that. And like the person who conducted the study is very conflicted on it. And it's like having the whole time, um, essentially just like, what do we do we, when we're creating these kinds of studies, there has to be considerations on long-term implications of the participants and making sure that they're cared for afterwards. Um, because in that study, it didn't seem like that that's what took place, uh, so essentially, like even the researchers who are developing this technology are gra grappling with the ethical dilemmas and like the fact that like we do live in a capitalistic society that's not going to pay for the medical care of the participants of the studies that are taking place. Um, and then the last thing that we'll be unpacking is data mining. So I didn't know what it was very genuinely. Uh, so I looked up what is data mining, a beginner's guide, 2022. And they say data mining is the most commonly defined as the process of using computers and automation to search large sets of data for patterns and trends, turning these findings into business insights and predictions. Data mining goes beyond the search process and is used and uses data to evaluate future probabilities and develop actionable analysis. Uh, so it's essentially companies track data and try to predict uh, consumer behaviors as well as like in uh, social media, similarly, like the algorithm. Uh, it's people mm -hmm. predicting what's going to do well based on tracking and collecting and buying user data to make those kind of predictions. Amazon is a big proponent of that. Amazon's empire, for there's an article called Amazon's Empire of Surveillance uh, through recent billion dollar acquisitions of healthcare services and smart home devices. The tech giant is leveraging its monopoly to power and monopoly power to track every aspect of our lives. And the article, yeah, they, they, they are making the, the, their own health insurance. Yep. Yep. Cyberpunk. Yeah. So the article highlights how Amazon gathers data from various sources, including its retail site, Prime Video, Goodreads, Audible, Twitch, and Whole Foods. So concerns are raised about the potential misuse of this data for targeting targeted advertising and surveillance purposes. So they're saying they're looking at curtains and they're really looking at everyone having sex. Like that's, that's what this is. It's like the movie you talked about. Um, so specific examples are provided uh, in the article, specifically the use of ring doorbell lights, cameras, sharing recordings mm -hmm. of law enforcement and echo devices, allegedly collecting data without user consent. There has been documented mm -hmm. evidence of this. And uh, the recent acquisitions of one medical, uh, specifically like a medical, uh, insurance-based thing. Uh, further expands Amazon's access to consumer data, raising concerns about healthcare. Uh, they also had to deal with iRobot, which is like the little vacuums, <laughs> little windows. Mm -hmm. uh, it fell through, but the concern there was the risk of home mapping, which uh, fun fact, they already do uh, with our Wi-Fi routers. Uh, Mm -hmm. so, uh, so while the iRobot would definitely also help with that and they would give more people access to that information, unfortunately, Wi-Fi routers already do data mapping because they've trained AI to be able to tell where people are based on where your Wi-Fi mm -hmm. router is. I sound like a conspiracy theorist. And really your weird. echo, like in all of those things, when they hear your voice, they can map where you are. Like they use like echolocation. Yeah. So it's like a whole thing. Uh, they are tracking the heck out of us. Um, that's why I like stopped using the like Google Home. Uh, or like little mm -hmm. like speakers because it freaks me out. 
Um, so essentially, this is not something exclusive to Amazon, but Amazon specifically uh, markets itself as like an online marketplace, but is a surveillance agency. Like they don't talk about it enough. They are 100% the mm-hmm. surveillance first agency. And then they also sell you stuff. Um, so <laughs> yeah. critics are- They sell you the stuff you want maybe. Because- but- how did they know? Yeah. Uh, you know, when you like say into the phone, like I rings, <laughs> you know, like your, your yeah. person goes away and you're like, oh, I want this. Uh, I'll give them ads for it. So it's, that's what Amazon is essentially in essence collecting as well as like social media platforms and whatever. Uh, so critics argue that Amazon's market dominance and data collection practices contribute to antitrust concerns and threatening consumer privacy. Uh, the article mentions ongoing legislative efforts to address these issues, including proposed antitrust bills aimed at restraining dominant digital platforms like Amazon, uh, we do not know if they're going to go through. Uh, In an article, they quote someone named Greer saying, people tend to think of Amazon as an online marketplace, but really Amazon is a surveillance company. Every aspect of their profit is derived from their ability to amass and leverage data. Amazon's surveillance of its employees is well-documented as well from its time off task metric that measures productivity to monitoring its delivery drivers with AI cameras. Uh, Such strict standards that employees report being scared to take bathroom breaks lest they fall behind drivers and warehouse workers have reported. Um, Mm -hmm. That's when they were like peeing in bottles and stuff. Yeah, and like just like (laughs) the union busting and all that stuff too. Like it all kind of connects. The level of surveillance is like pretty terrifying uh, and like the way that it's used to isolate us as you're kind of like discussing game um mm-hmm. so there's obviously ethical concerns around data mining uh i found an article about the ethics of data mining and there are three chief concerns that they list uh, specifically transparency customers should have a certain amount of visibility into and control over how their data is collected and used uh a lot of this stuff is like not told to people outright so you have to like seek out how to like turn off the tracking stuff um and like also like the terms and conditions being in like tiny fonts that are like 18 pages long. It's like, and it's intentionally made that way so that you don't know what you're signing up for. So it's a very clear lack of transparency that currently exists within the data mining space. Um, essentially companies should be forthcoming with their data collection and use practices and ask permission before at acting rather than ask forgiveness after the fact. Uh, however, transparency with opt-in or opt-out procedures is not sufficient. Customers should be presented with and asked to explicitly consent to specific language around data access and usage in order to make informed choices, but that's not given, essentially. The other concern is personal data. Currently, there is no industry or political standard in the U.S. regarding the legal parameters or definition of personal data. Today, businesses operate largely with sector-specific regulations and their own beliefs about what constitutes personal data. Often, these ideas center around legal consent rather than types of data and how companies can or cannot use them. The latitude presents risks to customers uh, and then governance, especially, they said, even in the EU, where the GDPR offers a more comprehensive of legal framework for data practices. Control within companies is just as essential as protecting consumer data. There must be leaders assigned to policy development, supervision, and enforcement without proper proper government governance and like uh, regulation. Ethical lapses and legal troubles are inevitable. So essentially with the system that we currently have in place, there's just so many openings for breaches as well as just like lack of care actually for like the human lives that are impacted by these things. 
um, and the prioritization of profits uh, and access to our money. Yeah, lots of scary things, especially with the questions of ethics, because it's like they're not going to ask those things and the right people aren't going to ask the people who are in charge. Yeah. No one cares. Yeah. And it's a lot of it's like ask the whole asking for forgiveness, not permission, uh, is something that those companies use often. Uh, yeah. They're going to do whatever they want until they get caught. And then they'll be like, oh, geez, then we'll accept the consequences. But luckily, no, we made billions of dollars. Do and now I can flee to an island, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess, you know, when you're thinking of the ways that, you know, that technology has been uh, practiced on, tested on, you know, uh, minorities, lower income folks, vulnerable communities, then it is, again, giving more credit to the film than it probably deserves uh, a good representation to start a film in which you are abusing and using human bodies as tools to start it with a black woman. Yeah. Uh, again, to more credit that I think that <laughs> actually deserves. Um, yeah. But there, there is something to say there, and um, unfortunately, right is the truth. It's it's always just like you know nothing about us without us, and they weren't there, so they were not part of the scene. I promise. Yeah. Uh, nobody. They didn't show up anywhere else. There's no other black people. Nope cool so yeah it's fucked up yeah i i that if you pocket it <laughs> you say yeah okay this is the truth of that and then you pocket it it's a decent film yeah like generally i, I enjoyed myself when i could temporarily suspend <laughs> that rant um and watch the film i think that part was it like I think it was a an interesting film, and yeah. they brought to life some some horrors that I didn't even really think about. Right? Yeah. Um, it's just part of the course. <laughs> Horror. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it's fair if you don't want to see that in the film. Whatever it was trying to say, it was not worth the cost that it did at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. if you don't want to watch it, that's okay, and that's fair. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And yeah, and if you're gonna do that, just do it. Um, which <laughs> I'm thinking because uh for people if you're listening and not watching, if you go watch I am trying to be um the Tasia who has very like very white hair, <laughs> blonde white hair, and then like very light eyebrows, and Cat made a joke that kind of looked like Ariana Grande. So it's just like, yes, and say that shit to your chest. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe they should say that over your chest. Yeah. You're gonna say it. Yeah. Own it, dude. Say it mm-hmm. then. Uh, <laughs> Do it so. intentionally and thoughtfully, yeah. Yes. And uh yeah, we got one more episode left of our New Year New Me series. It definitely um, you know, has my brain turning, thinking about terrifying technology and all the different things that we have yet to cover. Um, including altered carbon and eventually like even talking about uh, we potentially were going to cover maniac, which was about clinical trials. Um, there's even just some doctor who episodes I've seen as of late. That is like, Oh, yeah. what a great like employee you would be if you didn't have to sleep. 
Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, uh oh, capitalism there, strikes again. There are so many like me- pieces of media that would just be really interesting. In fact, even the games, there's so many games, games I've played recently, like that are just so spot on when it comes to that. Like I've been replaying Metal Gear and like that is the whole series is like government do messed up thing, make people like mutilate people and make them into super soldiers and stuff uh and then also like destroy vulnerable populations in the process uh Mm -hmm. so yeah so So if you want to hear us do a terrifying technology series in the future maybe this year um let us know let us know some of your horrifying technology films books uh video games tv shows whatever um and we will see about putting them on the list of something to potentially cover. Uh, mm-hmm. We have, like I said, one more episode for this series. Then we're moving on to something else uh, before our, you know, biannual big break. So mm-hmm. don't get married. Delete your kids. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, well, you don't need your kids. You'll be you a better job. worker if you didn't have to care about them. Yeah, go do a job. That's yeah, what they do want. Do a job. Ultimately. That's what they want you to do. That's why they're like, oh, like you work all the time. You never are not working. Can't have an opinion if work always. Yeah. We invented the light bulb so you didn't have to go home when it got dark. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Bye. (laughs)